So one of the things uh, I try not to do, uh, I try to keep up with it because I don't want to do it too much, uh, is to use uh, running as an example, because uh, I know that I could use it as an example most weeks. Uh, but this is one of those where I have been reading this passage, processing it, and I keep coming back to the same example, and I think it fits unbelievably well. And so I wanted just to, uh, to use a running example for you. Uh, for most of y'all, y'all, y'all know that I run a lot, and I'm not a road runner, I'm a trail runner. And in trail running, uh, there's this uh, group that's called ultra running, and ultra running is any group or any race or run that is larger or longer than a marathon. Ultra actually stands for ultra marathon. So a marathon is 26.2 miles. If you go and do a run that's 27 miles, that's longer than 26.2, so that's an ultra. And so there's this whole ultra community out there. And part of this ultra community is, is that you understand that if you run that far, uh, if you run, I mean, they have 50 mile races, 100 mile races, uh, 200, 250, I think is kind of the top right now. If you run those races, the vast majority for most people, what you enter, you're not going to finish. Okay, so you, you sign up for a race knowing there's a pretty good, ch- uh, everything has to go perfect for me to pull this off. And that's kind of the understanding of what people know. And so one of the things that, that happens in that community is, is there is a term for running, or there's a term used a lot in running, that is, uh, the term is DNF. It stands for did not finish. So D is in did not finish. And so one of the things that are kind of questions that people have been kind of asking over the past few years is dealing with a DNF, did not finish. If there's a lot of races that a lot of people aren't going to finish, how do you turn a did not finish into a did not fail? How do you turn not finishing into not failing? And so there's a lot of kind of conversations about this and there's podcasts where people talk about this. And so there were two things that, uh, you know, two years ago when I attempted 50 miles in the Grand Canyon, I DNF'd technically, I didn't finish. And so I started kind of processing of like, what can I do differently? And so there were two things that I implemented. One was just kind of an automatic implemented at that year. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But the other thing is, is a realization that the only way that we fail at anything we do is if we don't learn something. Do you hear me? The only way that you fail at anything you do is if you don't learn something. And so you begin asking the question, what can I learn from whatever this experience, however I think that I failed, if I learned something from this, I know that I didn't fail. And so I started kind of working on on some different ideas. And so one of the things that I started doing was I started a mantra. And so whenever I go and run for a long distance, I have the same mantra I think about all the time. And the mantra is this, it's four words, prepare for that moment. Prepare for that moment, that there's going to be a moment that I want to quit. There's going to be a moment that I want to stop. So how do I prepare right now for that moment so that when it comes up, I'm ready for it. I know how to deal with it. And so last year when we went to the Grand Canyon, when I came out on the other side, I had that moment of, do I turn around and go back in? And so I started, I had prepared myself for that moment. So I had a 1.7 miles that I could walk, that I walked it, that I walked to decide, am I going to turn around? And I practiced this. So I start going through my kind of my hurdles or my obstacles in my mind. Number one, the environment. Is it too hot? Nope. Is it too cold? Nope. 
I'm good. How am I doing with nutrition? Am I eating enough? Yep, I'm doing really, so I go through, how do I feel? How are my legs? I hurt my knee. All right, is it enough to make you stop? Is it enough to, or is it, can you keep going? So I go through all of these things, and so I get back, and actually I have a video of it. I get back to the van, and Heather's dad's videoing, and Heather's dad said to me, he said, John, how do you feel? And I said, well, to be honest, I feel too good. That seems like a weird statement. But what I was actually saying was, I've gone through all of my obstacles, and I can't come up with a reason not to go back. I can't come up with a reason to not do this again, not turn around and do another 25 miles. Now, I say all that because that, that's kind of one of those, those things that I do. But the other thing that there's one of those skills that I think is, is helpful in this uh, kind of in this conversation. Now, I have a whiteboard. I'm hoping I could write big enough. But the bigger issue is not can I write big enough for you to see it. The bigger issue is can I spell correctly? Because I don't know if y'all know this. I'm a terrible speller. I have given that trait to my daughter, who is also a terrible speller. It's not her fault. It's my dad. Actually, it's my dad's fault. My dad was a terrible speller as well. So I um, try to place this where everybody can see it. But this is one of the things that I do. I don't, I don't do it on a whiteboard. I usually do it on a piece of paper. Or I do it in my, in my notebook. But I start this list that says, what did I do wrong, all right? And what did I do right, all right? Does that make sense? And so I go through, this is with running, I go through and say, okay, these are some things that I did right. I had my nutrition right, I did this right. Here are some things I did wrong. I need to spend more time going up hills. And so what I do every week is I spend a lot of time going up hills. And so that kind of helped me begin to think through and process this and help me kind of think through of what am I doing wrong? What can I do right? How can I fix what is wrong and how can I increase what is right? I, I tell you all this because what I want you to hear this morning is that God has called every single one of us to something. And God tells us about that and he tells his people, he makes a promise to his people all the way back in Jeremiah. So back in Jeremiah, God says to us, he makes this incredible promise to his people. Jeremiah chapter three, verse 15. He says, I will give you shepherds who are loyal to me. Okay, he's talking to us. I will give you shepherds who are loyal to me and they will shepherd you with knowledge and skill. Okay, God has made a promise. I'm going to give you shepherds. So who are these shepherds that he's going to give the people of God? They're us. He's giving us shepherds, but he's also calling us to be shepherds. And so God does this. And then we go, we kind of fast forward in the story and we get over, we go from Jeremiah, we get over into Ezekiel and God says, okay, I've called people. To be shepherds, all right? So let's, let's, let's do an assessment, all right? I've called people to do shepherds. That was back in Jeremiah. We're in Ezekiel now. I've called them to, do, to be shepherds. Let's see how they're doing. What are they doing wrong? What are they doing right? So we flip over into Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel, 
God and Ezekiel are having this conversation. So Ezekiel chapter 34, we'll start with verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's not good. If you're prophesying against someone, that's not good. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. Who should, woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, you wear the wool and butcher the fattened calves, but you do not tend the flock. So right off, what is God saying? God's saying one of the things that you're doing wrong is, is you're profiting from the flock. All right? And I've also asked you to do something. What's the very last words? You do not tend the flock. So we're gonna read about that here in just a moment, but I'll go ahead and write it up here and I'll put care of the flock. I don't know if y'all, can y'all read that? So, okay. If you're in the balcony, you can't read it. Just come on down. All right. So, all right. That says care of the flock. So Ezekiel's going to tell us, or God's going to tell us how they're doing on care of the flock. Verse four, you have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, damaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Y'all hear it? You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, damaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the loss. Instead, you ruled them with violence and cruelty. Let's put it down here, violence. See, there's one of those words. That's spelled right, whether you know it or not. Violence. I think I could have practiced spelling things correctly. All right, violence and cruelty. Verse five, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and there was no one searching or seeking for them. So they were scattered. All right. Uh, yeah, my flock, let's go back to verse six. My flock went astray on the hill, the mountains of every, uh, in every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole earth and there was no one seeking them. So let's put that one up there. Good. There's another good one. No one seeking. All right. See if I write messy enough. Y'all don't know if I spelled it wrong or not. All right. So verse, uh, verse seven. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock lacking a shepherd has become prey and food for every wild animal. And because my shepherds do not search for my flock and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. So they are food. Let's put that as our last one. To go over. All right, food for wild animals, what that says at the bottom. All right, how are we doing? Not good. Okay, so 
then what does God do? So I just, I don't, I want to make sure that y'all kind of see what's, what's going to happen here. Cause it's, we're going to kind of come back to it as we move into Peter. But God gives us all of these things, but then God says to them, I'm going to show you what I mean by a shepherd. I'm going to show you what you're supposed to be doing. So verse 11, I'm just going to kind of jump through these verses. They're not on the screen. Just hear some of these statements. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. I'm going to do it myself. Verse 16, I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy the fat among the strong and I will shepherd them with justice. Verse 23, I will establish over them one shepherd, He's going to establish one shepherd. Who is that? Okay, if you don't know, he's going to say it. Here's the moment. My servant David, he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. Is he talking about David? No, he's talking about the line of David, which I heard before is Christ. So the verse that Barry read for us earlier is Christ proclaiming what? I am the good shepherd. It's Jesus reminding us, I'm the one that's doing these things right. Because y'all have done a terrible job of this. Verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate dangerous creatures from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the forest. Why do I do this? I think, maybe, just maybe, the, the Apostle Peter, he watched Jesus live out the right way to be the shepherd. And he watched him live this out. And then Peter sits down and begins to write this letter to the church, to you and to me. And he writes this letter to us and he says, guess what, guys? We, history shows us we have done it terribly. We have not done what God wanted us to do. Why don't we do some things the right way. Because God has called us, God has called you to shepherd the flock. And so Peter comes to us. And so let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I exhort you. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Okay, I'm talking to the elders. Now, some of you are going to say to me, Pastor, I'm young, I'm not an elder, and I understand that. But I'm also a person, and we're going to kind of come back to this at the end. I'm also a person that believes in habits. And the way that we become stronger Christians, the way that we become elders is we watch elders and we do what elders do. I don't know if y'all know this, but to use another running story, since I'm already in there, I don't know if y'all know this, I'm not a world-class runner. So some of you laughed. That was supposed to be a pure shock to you. I'm not a world-class runner. I will never be one. I'm 45, I'm slow. But I still pay attention to what some of the world-class runners do and say, what habits are they doing that I can use? And as the people of God, the reason we come together as a community is to look at our elders and to say, what are they doing? How can I bring that into my life? 
Sometimes when I think of elders of the church, y'all heard me tell this story before, but I, I was thinking about it this morning and it just makes me laugh every time. Years ago, I was, um, we were doing uh, shut-in communion for Christmas. It was a couple weeks before Christmas. And so I was going by, seeing some of the shut-ins, making sure it was okay if I sent somebody over there to serve them communion on Sunday night. So I go by and see Bernie and Viola Higginbotham. So we sit and we talk for a while, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'd love to have them. You know, y'all come on, um, y'all come Sunday night. And so that afternoon, on Sunday afternoon, Bernie Higginbotham calls me and he said, Pastor, when you, when you send people here tonight, could you send somebody that could anoint me with oil for healing? I was like, Bernie, that'd be great. I, I'll, make, I'll make sure that I come. I'll do that. And so we get here. We split up into groups. And so Scout was with me. Scout was probably like eight. And then uh, Mary Crane and Addison Dunn were with me. And they were probably 12, 13. So we go over to the Higginbothams. We serve them communion. We sit down with Bernie. And I had oil with me to, to anoint him. And so I do what I usually do. I open up James. And I start to read the passage and the passage in James, if you go to, I think it's James chapter four, or chapter five, James says, call for the elders of the church. And I look up and there is a eight-year-old scout, a 13, 12 or 13-year-old Mary and Addison. And I'm like, I don't think they're the elders of the church. Like, I think I just messed this up. But they were learning the habits of what it is to be God's people, to be the elders. And we prayed for the Higginbothams that night. We anointed Bernie. And so we do those things. And so Paul or Peter says to us, call the elders of the church together. This is what the elders should be doing. So even if all that to say, even if you say, pastor, I'm not an elder, that's where we're moving. That's where you need to be striving to move into that. And we go ahead and do those habits. So I believe this is talking to all of us. So Peter says, verse two, he's talking to you. He says, shepherd, Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed, as they were doing back here in Ezekiel, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. So what does Peter tell us to do? Kind of step one, we are to be caring for the flock. A little bouncy down there. All right, and we do this eagerly. All right. Verse three, not lording it over them, or not lording it over those entrusted to you, but to be examples. To the flock. All right. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, who is Christ? So there's also kind of a side note here. Peter's also acknowledging back in Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to send you someone who is going to be the shepherd, who is going to show you how to do this. And Peter is saying, we have seen him do it. God kept that promise. God fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ and we watched Jesus Christ live this out. That is who we look to as our example of what it is to be a good shepherd. So when the chief shepherd appears and you will receive the unfading crown of glory in the same way, verse five, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. 
toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your cares on him. So cast all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded and alert. Be sober-minded and alert. For your adversary, the devil, is prowling around. Okay, see what Peter's doing here. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, See the imagery of what Peter is pulling on. Peter is pulling out this Ezekiel passage and saying to us, back here, when God said we were left for food for wild animals, that wild animal is your adversary. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Verse nine, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The last one, let's put resist him. Or let's put resist the devil so we know what we're talking about. All right. So here we are. We've got our list. So here's the question. How do we turn... I did not finish. God has called his people to be shepherds. In Ezekiel, God tells us, guys, you you didn't do a very good job of this. How do we turn a did not finish and turn it around into a did not fail? How how do we change from moving from a people that God tells us, guys, I I called you to do something. You, you, You haven't done it the way that I desired. I'm going to show you how to do it. It's through Jesus Christ. And then Peter says, guys, we've seen the example. Now we have the example. And what you need to be about is caring for the flock eagerly, that you need to be examples to the flock, that you need to live in humility, that you need to cast your cares on him, that you need to be sober-minded and alert, and you need to resist the devil. This is what you need to be doing. How do we move from failure to what God has called us to be? For those of you that kind of keep up with um, kind of Christian media and things that are going on, uh, and I've, I've used this as an example before. But over the past uh, probably 18 months or so, there has been a podcast that has been one of the most popular podcasts um, out there. And it deals with a church that failed. The church is out of Seattle. The church is called Mars Hill. The pastor uh, was a guy named Mark Driscoll. And the podcast deals with a church that failed. Now, there's a whole lot of, and there's a whole bunch of episodes, and I can't sum it up for you in just a couple minutes, but let me say this. What happened was this. Mark Driscoll, who was the pastor, said, I'm going to create a church with perfect theology, and if we have perfect theology, we have the perfect church. 
But here's the problem. Theology, by definition, is words about God. There are words about God. And we try our best as human to proclaim who God is through our theology. But there still are words. And theology really is words about God from humans about a perfect God. But we aren't perfect. There is no perfect theology. There is no perfect church. And the perfect theology that he tried to create and the perfect church he tried to create doesn't exist anymore. Because perfect theology doesn't exist because we're human. When we get to Ephesians chapter three, one of my favorite benedictions in all of the Bible is in Ephesians chapter three. Hear hear these words. This is a benediction we say in the church regularly or I try to say it semi-regularly. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think according to his power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Did you hear what Paul says to us? To him, to him be the glory, but the one who is above all that we could ask or think. Why? because our minds can't comprehend the fullness of God. That's an amen moment, by the way. Our minds cannot comprehend the fullness of God. Okay, good. I'm tempted to do it again, because I think I could get a little more power behind that. All right, but listen to me. So the problem is, is we people say, I'm going to have the perfect theology. The problem is, is that theology can never fully contain who God is. So you're, some of you are like, well, pastor, are you saying that Nazarene theology isn't perfect? That's exactly what I'm saying. I believe, the reason I'm a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene is I believe the Church of the Nazarene gives the best and clearest picture of who Jesus Christ is. Does that mean we're perfect? No. Does that mean we have everything figured out? No. But do you know what? I don't think we're supposed to because our God is bigger than that. And if I have a theology that says I have all of God figured out, then either I'm lying or my God is too small. You hear me? Either I'm lying or my God is too small. And so he built this church on this idea. And so this whole podcast, you can go and listen to it. It's it's rough. There's a lot of, it's, it's bad. But once the podcast was over, I think they've had four episodes now of kind of dealing with the aftermath of this podcast. I mean, they they started a podcast and thought, you know, there's some pastors will listen to it, some seminary students will listen to it, nobody's really gonna care. And it was the number one podcast in the country. And so they've been dealing with some of these things. And so they had an episode come out just a couple weeks ago kind of dealing with the aftermath. And the guy that hosted, he had some different people on there and they talked about kind of what do we do with this? And they get down to the very end, and the guy said, well, the, guy, his, the guy that was on there with him made this statement. He said, what churches need to be doing, what, what churches need to be doing more than anything else? He said, this doesn't cost you any money. If you're at a church of 2,000, you can do this. If you're at a church of 20, you can do this. And it's free. That's, that's music to our ears. It's free. 
And he said, what churches need to be doing right now more than anything else. Y'all ready for this? This is earth shattering. They, they need to come down here. They, they need to go to the altar. He said, not, not in a manipulative way, but in a way that cares for the flock. In a way that is an example to the flock, in humility, in casting all your cares on him, in being sober-minded, in resisting the devil. Because what we have done sometimes is we say, well, if we go down to the altar, then everybody's going to think, well, then this person has a problem. What's going on? And he said, sometimes we just need together as the community, not because anything's going on, not because anything's wrong, but what I need to know more than anything else is that there is somebody's hand on my back and they're praying for me. That how we shepherd starts down front at an altar, not because it's a magical place, not because it's different, but because it's a place that has been designated to shepherd. To say, you know what? I'm going through some stuff and it's hard. And I don't know what to do. And, and I'm not going to tell you. I don't want to share it. I don't want to tell you all this stuff. All I want to do is to kneel and to know that there are people behind me praying. That's all I want. And he said, with all this other stuff, perfect theology, perfect church, none of that stuff matters. That we come together as the people of God to shepherd one another. That we come to the altar. We come to the altar to shepherd one another. That we come to the altar because we read verses like Ezekiel 34, 4 that says, you have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the loss. Instead, you're cruel, you're violent. And maybe, church, what we need more than anything else is he's right to say, I want to find the place to come wherever it is, whether it's at the end of the service, the beginning of the service, the middle of the service, I want to find a place just to know that there is someone behind me praying for me, shepherding me. Guys, I know all across this church, there are some really hard issues that families are dealing with right now. And I think one of the best things we could ever do as a family is to just know that somebody is with us, that they care for us that they want to walk with us, that they want to walk us through what it means to care, what it means to be an example, what it means to live in humility. So this morning, this morning, maybe we just need to come. We just need to come to know that there's somebody that's for us that there's somebody that's with us. Maybe we need to come today because we look at this list and you say, you know what, I, I haven't cared for the flock. I haven't done what I should be doing. But I want to change this list to move from I did not finish to move to I did not fail. 
to say, I, I've lost what, where I'm trying to go, I've lost what I'm trying to do, and I need to change my life. Because I'm called to be a shepherd, and I want to live as one. This morning, as we go to prayer and as John comes and we sing, when they got to the end of that podcast, he, I kind of abbreviated what the man said at the very end, but this is pretty much what he said. We come to kneel as sinners in need of mercy, but maybe the most important part is the gathered community. It requires no money, no programs, just faith in Jesus and the commitment to the good and flourishing of those around you. Could it be that one of the most important things we do in the church is come to the altar, to pray for one another, to lift one another up, to remind one another that no matter what you are going through, there is someone there who loves you, who prays for you. And my hope and my prayer isn't that this is just a sermon that we say, oh, pastor, that was a good sermon, and we move on. But today could be a day where we say, this is where our church changes. This is where life changes. We want to see God do something amazing in our church. And I really do believe that it starts with a hand on your back saying, I'm here. I don't need to know what's going on. I need you to know I'm here. So today as we sing, I just invite you to come. If you wanna come and find a place to kneel, if you see someone come forward and you wanna come pray with them, that you just come. Pastor James will be down here and he'll be happy to pray with you. I'll be down here if anyone wants to be anointed for healing. So today as we sing, may we come, let us stand.